The Bible reading for tonight comes from John 3, verse 16 to 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is the condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his words should be exposed. But whoever does, does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. just pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can gather around your word now. Please help me to speak your word faithfully. We pray that all of us will have hearts to hear and that we may know the joy of our salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible has had a significant impact on our language on your language, the language you speak. And so within our culture, there are many phrases which come straight out of the Bible. Let me give you a few illustrations. Do not judge. Turn the other cheek. The salt of the earth. A good Samaritan. Fight the good fight. My brother's keeper. It is more blessed to give than to receive by the skin of your teeth from the mouth of babes. Go the extra mile and 666. <laughs> we also see it in sport, don't we? Where if there's a, 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 some new person to the sport going out and meet someone who's got a real reputation, it's, it's a David and Goliath struggle. Or if it's the first time out as a player on the field, it might be his or her baptism of fire. In politics, we say the writing is on the wall. Or the ball handling the blind. Or is he trying to bring Armageddon? Even the environmental movement has taken up biblical imagery with the ark. There's the planet ark movement with its rainbows and doves as it seeks to recite and look after God's creation. And of course, for Christians, we certainly have our favourite phrases and verses from the Bible as well, don't we? But what I find interesting is that our favourite verses are a little bit different to the favourite verses that have made their way into our language. I think our culture has its verses that it's picked up from the Bible, but the ones we think are our famous ones, are actually different. 
And John 3.16 is just such a verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now the Bible is made up of many books and people often write commentaries which are a book to explain a book of the Bible. But people have written entire books on this one verse. There was a man in the 1980s called Roland Stewart that some of you may have seen and he would go to these sporting events and it might be a race car, one was the um, now, Formula One was one I can remember. And what he would do is he, he would know which was the lead car going around. And whenever the lead car came around, he would have bought his tickets and be sitting in the right place so that as the lead car came around, the camera was on it, he'd hold up a poster saying John 3, 16. That was it. For him, that was the one verse he wanted the world to know. You can get John 3.16 on wall hangings, calendars, and cards. It's even inspired some Christians, or I haven't seen this recently, but when I was a youth, it inspired some people in my youth to go through every other book in the Bible to see what 3.16 says then, because there must be something about this. It was so important to them. Now, why is that the case? Why is John 3.16 had that type of effect in a way that I don't think any other verse has for Bible-believing Christians. It's because Christians see in this verse the very heart of what they believe. They see in this verse the perfect summary of what their faith is about. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Today I'm really just looking at one verse in particular and a few verses after it. But I want us to begin with this verse from God's Word. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This verse is about the love of God. The most treasured verse for Christians is not about God's judgment, but about God's love. It's a verse that shows us that God has loved our world. Now, you may be thinking, well, what does God think of me? You may not have sorted out your relationship with God yet. You might be thinking, what does God think of me? Well, what does he expect of me? Where do I stand before God? This verse tells us, doesn't it? It tells us about God, us, and the world. And it says that God so loved the world, that God loved you, that he sent Jesus to die for your sins. This verse, of course, is referring to Jesus when it speaks of the only Son, that God gave his only Son. And as I've said, it's referring to Jesus Christ dying on the cross to pay for our sins. I want to ask a few questions here. My first one is, that how does Jesus dying show the love of God? Is it that it shows the love of God for us? Please come with me to 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. As we consider what love is. 1 John 
chapter 3, verse 17. So it's right up back of the Bible. Why are no, 17? But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. You see, love is not just in words. Love is also seen in what it does. Now we know this, don't we, with a relationship between, say, a husband and a wife. A husband may say that he loves his wife, but of course it needs to be backed up with word, with actions. It's no use just saying to your wife or to your husband, I love you, it needs to be backed up with corresponding actions. And in fact, if those actions aren't there, then you'll have difficulty in that relationship. Words are important, but love demands more. Love demands actions. It demands giving. And God has given to us. God has given to us Jesus. He so loved our world that he has given his son for it. God has done something for you. You may have had parents who have done great things for you for your life. You may have had parents who have not done much for you. But God has done something for you. God has done something great for you. And it shows us his love. Now, we need to remember this. You need to remember this in your youth. You need to remember this as you grow older. Because you're going to come across times in life where you will doubt and you may doubt the goodness of God to you. You may have some type of chronic condition that develops in you. I've got one of my university friends who has had a chronic condition since the time I know him. He's got no relief. You may have some uh, terrible thing that happens in your life. It's as we look to the cross that we can be assured of God's love. God is showing us his love and giving us his son. And there will be times where we can rejoice with this and we sing songs praising God about it. And there are great times, but there are times where it's difficult. And we say, does God love me? Well, when you doubt God's love, you look to the cross and only he does love you. God has shown his love to us. Now, the second question I want to ask is, what is it that God's actually given? What is it that God's given? Well, we know that he's given Jesus, but what does it mean to give his son? And to answer this, we need to understand a few things about God. Come first with me back to Psalm, uh, Psalms 139. Here. 
to send Jesus. If everything is his, and he knows everything he's talking about, if he's completely, if he's not vulnerable in any way, then it costs him. You see, I want you to imagine if Bill Gates, the owner of Microsoft, gave you a car. He just said, here's the keys, there they are, take this car. That would be great, but it, it, it wouldn't really make much of a difference to him, would it? It would be generous, but if, a, if somebody who was struggling gave you a car, that's quite a different thing, isn't it? So when God gives us his son, is that a big deal, or is it just like Bill Gates giving you a car? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Well, it does cost God. It does cost God because there is only one unique son. God made the whole world and be powerful over everything, and everything's the only everything, but he only has one son, the Lord Jesus who has been in relationship with his Father from all eternity. There is only one person like that, this Son. And when this Son comes to us, there is a real cost. Dare I say that when the Son of God becomes a man, that God becomes vulnerable. That God becomes vulnerable. Think about the Gospels as we see the Divine Son, as He is betrayed, as He is beaten, as He is whipped, and He is crucified. The God who knows all, who sustains all, who owns all, becomes vulnerable as He gives His Son to us. It cost God to send Jesus. God is not just like Bill Gates giving you something He doesn't even Notice, when God gives Jesus, this is at the very heart of God. It's, it, it, it's, it's a moment of vulnerability from God as, as Jesus comes into the world and becomes one of us. It costs God. When Jesus died for your sins, God was giving a great gift. When Jesus died for your sins, it was not just some routine transaction. It was the most precious thing that the Father could give. Now, John wants us to be clear on why Jesus came. And so he says in verses 17 and 18, so come back with me, please, to, to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. 
So John wants us to be clear. Jesus came not to condemn, but to save. And so I want us to think about these ideas of condemnation and salvation. God is our creator. God made you. The reason why you're here, the reason why you're sustained, the reason why you're here is because of God. God is our creator. Not only is he our creator, but he will hold us to account for how we live. I don't know what the future holds for all of you, but I do know one aspect of what the future holds for you. I don't know your individual life, but I know together what the future holds for us. And that is that there will be a day when we stand before our God and have to give an account of our life. I know that much about you. You see, God is our judge who will hold us to account. Now, God's not like human judges. You see, the, the problem with human judges, isn't it, is that they have limited knowledge. And so maybe, you know, you've heard something in the media where there's a court case, and the court case has been going for years. It's a long time for a court case to be going, isn't it? Years for a court case. Now, why is it going for years? It's because we, we're trying to figure out what happened. We don't have complete knowledge. And so we're trying to work out what the truth is. And it takes years to try to work that out. And our judges make the best decisions they can. But that's not the case with God. God actually has full knowledge. And when God holds us to account, he does so with full knowledge. Aren't you glad that the judges of this world don't have full knowledge? <laughs> if they did, I think many of us would have had to pay a bit more tax. Or we may not have got all the benefits from the governments that maybe we're entitled to. Maybe you would have had a few more speeding fines if the government had, if the government had complete knowledge. And in a group this week, it may well be that some of you should be in jail if the government had complete knowledge. So there's a big difference, isn't there, between what when God judges and when humans judge. So when God judges your life, you'll be seen for exactly what you've done. Our lives will be truly seen for what they are. And when we look at ourselves, when we look at our world, we're sinful. We don't live the way we should individually. We don't live the way we should as families. We don't honour God as ourselves. We don't honour God in our families, in our nations. We don't honour God as a world. We're a violent, corrupt world filled with violent, corrupt individuals. And this is what it means to be condemned. This is what John is talking about. He's saying that before God, you stand condemned. Don't be under any misapprehension here. If you're not sure where you stand with God and you're not a Christian, God sees your sin. Your judge sees your sin. In fact, in verse 18, it says that we're already guilty. We've already been condemned. But this is why Jesus came. Jesus came to bring forgiveness because the Son did not come God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, 
but in order that the world may be saved through him. Jesus' death on the cross brings about the forgiveness of sins that we need. Jesus' death on the cross opens up the well of eternal life that we need to drink from. It's only Jesus who can save you. You can't do it yourself. You need Jesus to save you. And the punishment that we deserve, he bore on the cross in our place so that we can stand before God spotless. We can stand before God forgiven. We can stand before God confident because God has done it for us. This is the message of the cross, that God has done this for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Now what happens when somebody gives you something? When someone gives you some, something, how do you respond? Well, I know with my children that when I give them a birthday present, and that most of the time I wrap it, I don't always wrap it. Um, I get in trouble from that from my wife, but I, uh, I at least have it still in the bag that I bought it. And, and so I, I give it to them, and but there's an excitement, isn't there, when you're given a gift, as you take the wrapping off to see what has this person given me? You know, what, what thought have they put into this? But what if a stranger just came up to you? You're on the you're at the train station, and a stranger just came up to you and said, Here's ten thousand dollars. What would you do? I suspect that you'd be concerned, <laughs> or you may be very cautious, uh, and most likely you'd be hesitant. If someone just come up and said, "Here's ten thousand dollars," or if someone come up and said, "Here's a set of car keys for that car over there, it's yours." So if you get a gift from a stranger, most of the time we don't even we won't believe it, will we? Someone, if someone that we know gives us a gift, we receive it. But when it's a stranger, we, I want to say by and large, we won't even receive it. We won't believe what they're giving us. Are you a stranger to God? How do you see God? I don't know everyone here. I, I know, I know very few of you. And it may be that you're not a Christian. It may be that you're still working it out. It may be that when you think of God, you don't really think of him as an intimate father with whom you have history, but you think of him as a bit of a stranger that is sort of getting to know or something. I want to say to you, God is not a stranger to you. God is not a stranger. God made you. God gives you breath. God loves you. And God has given his son for you. Come and receive this gift. Don't just treat this news as, as, if, as if it's the news from an outsider, as if it's news from another country that doesn't have anything to do with you. Like news amongst strangers. This is a gift that God has given for you. Come to God. Don't treat him like a stranger. Come to your Father 
and receive this gift of salvation in Jesus. Now John finishes up with, with two responses here. Two responses to the gift of God. Let's look at the first of these. The first of these is, is staying in the darkness. Verse 19. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light lest his deeds should be exposed. You see, some people, when they hear this message about Jesus, they reject it. They don't really care about sin. Sin's not an issue. They're not fearful of the judgment of God. John says here that they, they love the darkness and they want to stay in the darkness. In one sense, I can understand why people do that. So I've spoken the gospel to many people. And I've had quite a few people say to me, I know that it's true, I, I can see. I can see that there's value in this and something to be investigated in, but I just want to do my own thing. And I would say to you, if you come to Jesus, it means coming into the light. That's what it means to come to Jesus. It means to come into the light, and that means your life is going to change. And some people don't want to change their life. So they just keep Jesus as a stranger. They keep his gift as a stranger. They don't want to be exposed. They refuse to confess. They make up reasons as to why it's okay to continue to do what they do. I'll do it later. It's not important. Is that you? Is that you? How is it that you respond the gift of God's salvation, to God's call to come to Kenya. Can you say no thank you? Look at verse 21. There are those though who live by the truth. Verse 21. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out by God. Now those who want to be saved, they, they come into the light, don't they? These are those who do care about sin. They do understand that God is their creator and their judge and they, they care about these things. And they come to God and rejoice in what God's done for them. They come into the light. You see, John finishes with this idea of light and darkness, doesn't he? He talks about living by the truth. You see, Jesus just doesn't bring forgiveness for you and leave you in your sin. Jesus just didn't come on the cross to die on the cross to bring forgiveness so that you stay in your sin. He came to bring you into the light. He came to bring you into the light. And so for us as Christians, there's to be no darkness. We're not to try to keep secrets from God. We're to do the difficult surgery 
of allowing the Word of God to expose sin in our life and bring truth to our heart. Turn uh, to the left of me to um, Luke's Gospel. I want us to see two people who, two groups of people who have done this. Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, verse 5. Here we meet a man named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus had been abusing his government position and ripping off people, stealing from them. But he's heard the message of Jesus and it, it changes his life. This man who's uh, in many ways been a criminal to his people, been a thief, as I said, abusing his position. We read about this in peace, and we read in verse 5, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay in your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled, He has gone to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. For this man is also a son of Abraham. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now there's Zacchaeus. When he meets Jesus, what does he do? He rejoices that Jesus has received him. He rejoices that Jesus has taken an interest in him. And he repents. He pays back what he has stolen from people. Come with me to the book of Acts, Acts 19. God and that were not of God. 
I don't know your life, but I suspect that in your life, there's going to be things that you have to put aside. There are going to be things that you need to do what Zacchaeus did. If you've stolen anything from somebody, you need to confess it. Pay it back. If you've been um, involved in some type of wrong activity, it needs to be confessed to the appropriate people. You need to make a clean break. These are these early Christians who have come into the light. And this is what they've done. And this is what I call upon you to do today. I'm calling upon you to look at the love of God. To look at the love of God. And to have a new motivation. A new new motivation. We don't just live for God because God may judge us. Because God, God will judge us. Yes, that is true. But as Christians, we have a new motivation now, don't we? To live for God. And that is that God loves us. And that God has sent His Son for us. You know, sometimes I don't want to live God's ways. Sometimes I'll say, I just want to do something else. Now, I can remember that that God will judge me, but I can also remember that God loves me. And because He loves me, I'm going to walk His way. We've got a new motivation. Jesus gives us a new motivation to turn to God and to persevere in our obedience to Him. It's the love of God in Him that's the best motivating reason for us. To conclude, John 3.16 is a verse that captures the gospel message so well. And that's why it's such a a famous and well-known verse amongst Christians. This is why Christians love this verse. I'd love it if you made it your favourite verse as well. I'd love it if today, tonight, you go away saying, yes, this is what I'm holding on to. That God so loved me that he sent his son to die for my sins. This is what we all need to hold on to, isn't it? That God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have a lasting life. Amen.